This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the podcast that keeps you updated and educated. Hello and welcome to Tech Guide episode 479. Great to have your company. Thank you for listening once again. This is Stephen Fennec. I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, research suggests most of the social media savvy Gen Z are actually digitally illiterate. Apple has introduced digital legacy to determine who can access your iPhone after you die. And Telstra has developed technology that can block annoying scam text messages. In the Tech Ride reviews, we're going to check out the Surface Go 3 Windows 11 tablet. Binge and KO Sports apps now available on LG TVs. And Rode has released the Lavalier 2 wearable microphone. And we'll answer all of your tech questions in the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that keeps you connected. And Norton, the company that keeps you protected. Generation Z, or Generation Z if you're living in the US. This is the name given to the generation, also known as the Generation Connected, dot-com kids. I've got two kids in this Generation Z, and they're generally perceived to be aged between 18 and 24. Now, you think of this generation. So if they're 24 years old, they're born in the late 90s. If they're 18, they're born well within the 2000s. And what else have we had in that in those periods that I've mentioned? We've had the internet. My oldest is 26. She was born in 1995. I had the internet connected one month before she was born. So she is, she'll be t- turning 27 next year. She has literally had the internet her entire life and she turns 27 next year. So this is the generation that have had, that have always been connected always had access to technology, always had access to devices, uh, always were able to jump on Google to find out anything instantly. I remember talking to my kids at school and, and I said, look, don't ever complain to me about school because if you need to research an assignment, it'll take you 20 seconds if you just type into Google. Whereas when I was a youngster, I was your age, I'd have to go down to the library with a whole bunch of 20-cent pieces and find the books, photocopy the diff- the relevant passages. That was my research. It took ages. So <laughs> I wonder how well I would have done at school if I had had uh, Mr. Google to, to, uh, to help me. But this generation that have had not only devices and access to technology and the internet also have had social media. Social media has been a massive part of their lives. And I think you you look at anyone in that in that age bracket, 18 to 24, I think the that's that's the generation where just about everybody's on social media. So they're they're so they're they've they've also grown up with Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok and all of these platforms. And on those platforms, they are savvy. They've, they've, they know a thing or two about creating a TikTok and a reel and Instagram posts, and they, this is where they live. They live online. They live on these platforms. But how do they fare outside of those areas? And I'm talking about office-based software. There's some research that has been released by Koenig Solutions. They're an IT training company, and their research shows that 
one in five of Gen Z, just seventeen percent of the of Gen Z, eighteen twenty four, are more confident using office based software than they are on social media. So, in other words, most of them have more idea of social media than they have about office based software. We're talking Word and PowerPoint and Excel and Outlook and all these other software. And this age bracket, Gen Z, was the lowest of all the age brackets in the survey. So the generation above them, I think generation, is it generation X, who are 25 and over, they know more about office-based software. Because you think about it, the further you go back, when social media wasn't as big a thing, technology wasn't as, as, as available, like phones and, and various things like that, we're the only we the only technology we had access to were computers and that offers those office based software applications. So we knew a thing or two about them. I knew about those before I knew about social media because I had to. Now with this, the, the approach of another, the end of another school year, this is an alarming trend because employers who are looking to employ these this generation and eighteen to twenty four is right in that age bracket where some people, some of the these men or women of this age might be looking for their first job or that they need to find employment. They would need to show some kind of knowledge of these office-based software, which is why Koenig Solutions has jumped in with this survey, just to point out the fact that they offer these services. So they are a HR and IT training specialists that they allow, they have these courses that they can do. So if if an employer is looking at a, a, a person from Gen Z and asking whether they've got any qualifications in these in the office-based software, and a lot of them say, well, I no, I don't really have that training. So their pro- job prospects really take a hit there. And, and th- relying on on-the-job training doesn't always work. Like Your employer would probably want you to know that going in, how to do all this stuff. So having these, the, these courses, obtaining qualifications and certifications through uh, IT training uh, or try IT training and online training courses really does help your job prospects. But the other, the other worry here is that these young, this young generation, by the year 2025 – this generation is going to make up more than a quarter of the workforce. So 27% of the workforce in 2025 is going to be this generation. So they're going to grow up to in, and they make up 27% of the workforce. So real concerns there. These digital natives, uh, are, they, are they actually digitally illiterate? That's a, a real concern. And as I said, the end of the school year is rapidly approaching. Students who may not be going to university, they, they want to enter the workforce, then they really need to sharpen up their skills in these areas. That's going to make them a better prospect for employment if they do have these skills. And unfortunately, according to this research, only one in five have a more confident on office-based software than they are on social media. Unless the job they're applying for is a social media manager, then, hey, they're, uh, they're set for life. But not every single person that is aged 18 to 24 right now is going to be employed as a social media manager. Good luck to them if they are, but we do need to hone our skills in these other areas. So, yeah, great on TikTok and Instagram, but maybe they need to knuckle down Word, PowerPoint, Excel, 
Adobe, Photoshop, all these other applications that will uh, set them, uh, make them a better job prospect in the near future. Tell us what you think about it. Hit me up on Twitter if you've got a comment. At Stephen Fennick is where you can find me, and that's Stephen spelled with a PH. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, do you have children this age? Are, are you concerned? Are you are you this age? Do you think that the, this 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 research is unfair? Do you think that you know more than what this research is letting on? I'd love to hear your thoughts. But in the meantime, if you want to read the stats, read that story, you can check that out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. Apple has just introduced or about to introduce in iOS 15 a brand new feature called Digital Legacy. Now, this is an important one. You consider the amount of stuff we're producing on our phones and photos and videos and data and notes and all this data that we're producing. What's going to happen to all that after you die? Does your partner know your password of your phone or the, the password to your iCloud account? It's, it's, a real, it's something we really need to think about because I have been contacted numerous times by heartbroken men and women who have lost a partner suddenly, unexpectedly, and they didn't know the password to their partner's phone or tablet or their, their iCloud account and were, were, were really sad that they couldn't access all the photos and videos and all these memories that were available to them. So this is a real. This is something I think that we really need to think about. It's kind of this. It's called digital legacy. It's like it's like a digital estate. So you can set up a, as maybe part of your will. Uh, people giving getting access to your to your stuff to your digital content. So what Apple's done with digital legacy is allowed users to choose up to five people who will be able to access their data and personal information stored in iCloud and on their iPhones after they pass away. Now, everyone's got a smartphone nowadays and we're all creating data, accumulating data, producing all kinds of content, capturing our memories. And one of these days, we're going to leave all of that behind. And having someone to be able to access those memories and preserve them or do something with them, whether it's a family member or a close friend, is exactly what Apple's trying to do with Digital Legacy. Now, the feature's still in uh, in beta form. will be part of an iOS update soon. I'm understand, I understand it'll be before the end of the year, so within the next few weeks. And what it will do, it will give you the option of designating your five legacy contacts who will be authorised to access memories like your photos, videos, documents, and other data. And that is so, – so what you do is once that you've nominated that legacy contact – they will then receive a message and if they accept the offer to become a contact, they will then be given information that in the event of your death will activate to, to access their stuff. So it's it's really easy to act. Once it's live, you could go to on your settings on your iOS device, click on your name at the very top of the settings, password and security, and then you'll see a new option called legacy contacts or digital legacy, and then you can choose a member of your family if you're using family sharing or someone else using their email or phone number. Uh, works on a Mac too, so you go to system preferences, Apple ID, password and security, 
And if you and your legacy contact are on the same version of iOS, that includes digital legacy, you can contact them via via iMessage when you add them as well. And if they accept, as I said, it'll automatically store a copy of the access key in their Apple ID settings. Uh, If they decline, you'll get a notification, so you can choose someone else. So you can add up to five. And even if your legacy contact's not an iPhone user, say they're an Android user, they won't have to um, access the contact settings on their device, but you can print the access key and give it to them, send them a PDF of the page, or save a copy perhaps with your estate planning documents as well. It, it, sound, it sounds a little creepy, doesn't it? A lot of people, I think, are uncomfortable with talking about stuff like this. But it's not, it's not new. Facebook has a similar thing. Facebook's got a feature called memorialization, which means you can select a legacy contact to look after your account after you pass away. So they have control of your account, whether they want to shut it down, set it up as a tribute, post on your behalf, save all your photos. So this is something that Facebook, I think Facebook put this feature in a couple of years ago. So uh, it is something that I think that these platforms are really looking at because it would be a shame to lose all of that contact. And as I said, there, there's so many people who, who whether it's their partner, their child, has. I had contact from a, a guy who lost his son and wanted to get into his phone and to find some photos and, and information, and he never had this option either. So it was... Uh, this is something I think that we're going to find is necessary in the years ahead, and, and I'm finding it already that it's needed already. We've seen uh, the men and women whose partners have passed away, and they just can't get into their devices. So, look, in in the meantime, I think it's a good idea to know your partner's passwords. Like, you know, what we've got nothing to hide. Like, me and my wife, I know the password to her phone. She knows the password to my phone. So, if I, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow. She can easily get into my phone and see all my photos and everything in my in my iPhone, so at least she can has all has all that information. But not everyone has uh, not everyone has done that. I think it's something we really need to look at. The digital legacy coming to iOS very soon. But if you want to read more about it, of course, you can find that at techguide.com.au. Now, how annoying is it when you receive a scam text message? Some of them are so obvious that they're scams. Others, not so. I think there's a few of you, like me, who may have received a your package is on its way text message. I've never, I've never fallen for them because the, the message is so vague. It doesn't address me by name. It doesn't really specify a company. It's just so vague. And usually, if you are getting a message... It'll say who the it's coming from, and there'll be a link to a website. So it, look, it's it's not it's not hard for you. I know plenty of people who've clicked on these links and been directed to other places on online, and have had issues, and they've they've given their name and address and credit card information, and handed that over to a cyber criminal, unfortunately. So it's something that's really that's really become a modern day problem. And it's it's increased so much recently as well uh, that it's become just a rampant problem. Telstra has begun testing this new technology that can block scam SMSs. And it it is at a time, as I said, where they're at an all-time high. This year, Telstra received 11,100 scam reports from customers. That's in 2021. 
In 2020, there were just 50, five zero. This year, 11,100. So I think what cyber criminals have done is leaned pretty far into the, the pandemic, knowing that during lockdowns, many people were relying on online shopping and receiving their goods through the mail packages and things. So that's why this scam, the stat scam in particular, the, the your package, the package scam, was so successful for them because everyone was expecting a package. So if you received a message saying your package has been redirected, click here to find out more information or click here to pay customs or uh, some uh, GST on your item, uh, then a lot of people were expecting these packages. So it's not like it's a little less hit or miss as normal, normal phishing emails normally say you receive a phishing email from a bank. There's a lot of banks and the chances that you receive an email from a phishing email, a phishing email from a bank that you happen to bank with, that's a, that's a one in 20 kind of thing. But in the case of the scam messages, I think it's a, it's a four out of five thing where people are expecting the a package, and that's why these messages really did a lot of damage. So what Telstra's done here, they've had some help from the federal government. They've designed a tool to automatically detect and block scam SMS messages as they travel across the Telstra network. So this is their intention is to stop them before they reach a customer's phone. So it's kind of like a filter. So the new technology tries to apply this knowledge of what a scam SMS looks like and reads like. So it'll automatically scan the content of the message to search for any suspicious patterns and other characteristics. Like it'll take note of the time, the sender, the number of messages sent and the recipient. So it'll take all that into account and hopefully learn. The more it sees, the more it will learn and smarter it gets. So at the moment, Telstra is running this as a pilot program within the company so that any scam message is re- that's received will hopefully help train these systems to spot the difference between a real legitimate message or an illegitimate or malicious text message. So there's a small team that's going to access the platform to, re- to review suspected scam messages, but sender and recipient information has been removed to protect privacy as well. So in case anyone was concerned about that, these are just, uh, they don't know who they're for or where they're from, but it's just determined whether to see if it's a scam message or a real message. And so once uh, once the system gets to the point where it's more it's accurately identifying more and more scam uh, blocking the majority of scam me- messages, it'll then be implemented at scale, and then you'll see it on the rolled out probably early next year. Then for everybody, now they did have some su- success, of course, blocking uh, scam emails and phishing emails as well. So this is kind of part of their cleaner pipes initiative. They're saying so that. Uh, the, the, they've applied this to scam text messages as well, I think. It's a good rule of thumb that if you don't know who a message is from, you really gotta, you really got to be vigilant. you got to uh, be prepared. Just, just don't assume that it's someone you know because they can even create a number that looks like it's from Australia and it might not be. So there's so many things we just need to be careful about. I think if you have the mindset that, it's not a matter of if, but when I'm going to receive a message like this, it'll help you. So you'll, you'll be less surprised. That's the thing. So just assume 
that any message that encourages you to click on a link, share your details, act quickly, it's this urgency that it tries to give you, that's just the classic, classic ingredients of a scam. So just be very, very careful. Hopefully, you'll be okay. And uh, Telstra is working on this with the federal government. I understand other telcos are jumping in as well to share their resources. So I think if the goal is to less scam messages getting to customers, then it's going to be a big win for everybody. You want to read more about that story? Tel- Telstra really on the on the case there, blocking the scam SMSs. If you want to check that out, you'll find it at techguide.com.au. Keeping you updated and educated. Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Netgear. They're Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. Is your Wi-Fi struggling to keep up with your streaming, work, gaming, video calling and more? And what happens if you're doing all of that at once? When you're connected to your world by Wi-Fi, be sure it's the best. Bring your Wi-Fi up to speed with Orbi Wi-Fi 6 from Netgear. Orbi Wi-Fi 6 is the best and latest in Wi-Fi. It covers your entire home with the fastest Wi-Fi for uninterrupted streaming, video calling and working and learning from home on more devices than ever before in any part of the house. It's Wi-Fi perfectly engineered. Are you ready for the best Wi-Fi ever? Find out more at netgear.com.au slash best Wi-Fi. And now a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennec. Kicking off the reviews this week, we're talking about the Microsoft Surface Go 3. This is a handy little tablet or two-in-one if you want to call, if you want to attach a keyboard, running Windows 11. So if you want to, this is like an affordable way to get Windows 11 uh, in, a, in a handy format. Windows 11 is appearing on, on any laptop you buy now is going to have Windows 11 pre-installed, including this one, the Surface Go 3 device. So you get the convenience and portability of a tablet and the power of Windows 11 at the same time. Now, this is a, let's call this an entry-level Surface tablet. This is kind of like your, almost like an iPad in terms of its power and, and uh, ability. So this isn't, I don't think we should get confused here. Uh, up front, I'll say this isn't as powerful as a desktop or laptop, the, but there's enough, there's enough power in this thing to get stuff done. Stay connected, keep yourself entertained, be productive. There's a lot, a lot of things that are there. But if you're after something that can handle high-end video editing and rendering and all this sort of stuff, then you probably you need to look elsewhere. This is kind of more your everyday uh, general kind of computing, browsing, doing the odd editing photos and things like that, but mainly just your, your general things you need to do from day to day, your emails, browsing, the odd, the odd use of apps and things like that. So uh, that's not to say it's not powerful. It is, it is pretty pretty solid in terms of performance. But I think you just need to be realistic with this one. It, it is kind of their entry-level Windows 11 Surface tablet, the Go 3. Uh, it's got a 10.5-inch full HD display, 1920 by 1080. Uh, it's the PixelSense touchscreen. has the adjustable kickstand out the back, so you can really position it comfortably on its own. So if you want to just use it as a touchscreen, as a tablet, you can do that. You, of course, you can add the type cover, which is sold separately. So you can turn uh, you can turn it into a bit of a laptop situation there and get some, uh, if you need to be a bit more productive, you prefer typing on a, on a keyboard, there's a trackpad as well included. 
that helps also. Screen has a three by two aspect ratio, so it's more squarer than wide, which I kind of like this, this shape, and it's suitable for any any kind of task, whether you're looking working on a document, using a browser, drawing on the screen, uh, it is a good shape. This is the most portable Surface PC that Microsoft offers, and it's good size too, the right size if you want to take notes or sketch with a, with a pen, you can do that. It's powered by a dual-core Intel Pentium Gold 6500Y processor. There's also a dual-core 10th-gen Intel Core i3 version available as well. There's two versions. There's a 4-gig RAM or 8-gig RAM version as well. So there is plenty of performance. It does punch above its weight, can get through all the things you need it to do. But as I said, if you're doing 3D animation and rendering and high-end video editing, 4K video editing, then you probably need something a little bit more powerful than this. So for, but for a casual user or a student, for example, the Microsoft Go 3, perfect, just right. Uh, on its own, the Surface Go 3 weighs 544 grams. Uh, and as I said, you can add the type cover. So you can have the laptop going. There's sort of It's a, a laptop of sorts. So you can have the keyboard, the trackpad. The type cover connects magnetically to the edge of the Surface Go 3, so it doesn't need charging. It draws its power from the unit itself, similar to the way to the iPad keyboards, the smart keyboards do that as well. But not only is it a keyboard, but then it also acts as a protective cover for the screen. Of course, when you shut it, your screen is protected. Now, there's a few colors available too for the uh, the type cover. There's kind of your silicon version. Then there's the Alcantara, the sort of the soft felt feel uh, as well. That's a slightly more expensive, but you do get the choice of colors in that as well. Uh, we also paired a mouse, the Microsoft mouse. They've got a recycled a mouse that's made of recycled plastic waste that's been recovered from the oceans and waterways. So if you want to do your bit and uh, help the environment and feel good about yourself, then that mouse will work just fine. Connectivity-wise, there's a USB-C port, there's a headphone jack, and if you look underneath the kickstand, there's a little shifty little micro, micro SD card slot as well, tucked away behind that kickstand. Uh, I would have loved to have seen a regular USB port. It would have been something that separates it from the other tablets rather than it just having a USB-C. USB-C is good. You can charge it through the USB-C, by the way. But Microsoft are still pl hanging in there with the magnetic charging port. It's this little blade thing that sticks in the side. I don't know why. I never use mine. I just use the, the USB-C slot. Just one less thing to worry about there. But Microsoft is hanging on with that charger. Reminds me of the Seinfeld joke. Yeah, the Chinese are hanging in there with those chopsticks. There, Microsoft is hanging in there with that magnetic charge port. It looks like a little blade. And the port on the side where you put it, I keep mistaking that for an SD card slot too. Memory card slots, not a memory card slot where you put the Microsoft charger. But anyway, the uh, you can you can charge through USB-C, as I said. Um, you don't have to charge too often, though. That's the good news. The battery lasts for up to 11 hours. Battery life's fantastic on this thing. So it means it's going to be there by your side all day long, or you can take this on a long flight. You'll be You'll be good to go, whether you're watching videos or using apps and stuff like that. I think Windows 11, though, is a big, big feature here. So it's got an all-new design, all-new system structure as well. You can optimise the screen space as well, so you can hive off parts of the screen for different, run two apps at the same time side by side. So you can really increase your productivity there. There's also built-in security as well with Windows 11, which is good news. So you keep your device safe. It also offers secure access to your OneDrive cloud storage, of course, as well. So you can access your documents and stuff from anywhere. 
The the Surface Go three it's priced from six hundred and twenty eight bucks. Uh, that's the one. That's the four gig RAM version and sixty four gig uh, memory. That's e e m m c storage. If you want to go up to and pay eight hundred and forty six bucks, you're then getting eighty six gig of um eight gig of RAM. So eight gig of RAM and one twenty eight gig of SSD storage. Very handy. The type covers are also. Uh, extra cost for the type cover, starting at one forty nine ninety five. That's for your plain old silicon. Uh, one ninety nine ninety five if you want that softer surface for a more comfortable, more comfortable typing, and uh, so it just looks a little nicer and softer. So that that's what, what on top of that. So you're looking at, you know, you're probably looking at around a thousand bucks if you want to go eight forty six plus one nine nine. So it's just over a thousand bucks you're going to be paying for the Surface Go three and a nice the softer surface type cover. If you want to go the six twenty eight plus one four nine, so it's, that's under a thousand. If you want to go that that way as well, so uh, design wise, both look identical, but the extra power and extra RAM is what you get for that extra money. And the extra the the one twenty eight gig memory that's SSD storage, so solid state drive storage. Uh, the sixty four gig is eMMC storage, which is more like a memory card rather than a doesn't quite have the speed of SSD. But either way. The Go Surface Go 3, handy tablet, handy two-in-one, handy laptop replacement if you need that as well, and at an affordable price and running Windows 11. So not a bad deal all around. If you want to check check out that review, you can see pictures. There are pictures of the device for our review. You can see all of that at techguide.com.au. If you're an LG TV owner who bought a TV 2018 and later, we've got some good news. A couple of new apps on your TV. Binge is on your TV. That's the uh, the Foxtel app that gives you, that gives you all the entertainment channels. So if you're watching shows like Succession and Curb Your Enthusiasm, Binge is where you watch it. Now it's available natively on your LG Web OS TV. Now, this is it, it, it begs the question as well, if it's running on Web OS on LG TVs, I know there are other TVs out there running Web OS, like I think some Born TVs bought at Aldi. I know the uh, the latest Echo 85-inch TV, 86-inch TV uh, has, oh, it's 85-inch, has, has Web OS as well. So I pre- I'm pretty sure you can also access them on those as well. It's the same operating system. So uh, that helps there. And here's the thing, though. I've got two LG TVs. I'm looking at them right now. Both TVs in my office here, my office slash studio, uh, they're LG OLED TVs. And I remember noticing, I saw the press release for the Binge app, but I also saw on the TV the KO Sports app. And it, it might not be a surprise, but both apps are made by the same, both part of Stream Motion, which is the streaming company that's attached to Foxtel that makes their, their apps. KO is basically all the Foxtel sports channels in a streaming service, just like Binge is all the enter- Foxtel entertainment channels in a streaming service. So what, weren't we surprised when we not only saw the Binge app on our LG TV, but KO as well. And I'm thinking, am I seeing things? Was that there before? So I, I did some investigating and found that 
They only announced Binge, and they had an embargo on the KO announcement for Monday, today. I'm recording this on a Monday. But I told I was sending emails saying, look, am I seeing things, or is KO available today as well? And the they got back to me and confirmed, yeah, KO's there as well. We were going to hold off that announcement till Monday, but you found out about it already on your own, so... No, the embargo doesn't apply to me. I'm thinking, sorry, I've, I discovered this by myself. I'm not going to. I'm not going to wait till Monday to write about it. I'm going to look like a fool if people are going to see binge on their TV and not, not, and me not noticing KO as well. So I went ahead and wrote that last Friday, and uh, with the headline binge app now available on LG TVs, and they snuck in the KO Sports app too, which is exactly what they did. So KO Sports, if you're a fan of sport like I am, you got access to more than fifty sports live and on demand, including NRL, AFL, cricket, Formula One, NFL, NBA, tennis, golf, and you name it. So as part of my little investigation, I did check the Stream Motions website and found that the Binge app was launched on the 25th of the 11th, 2021. And guess what? KO launched the same day, 25th of the 11th, 2021. So it's two, two different sources for confirmation which is how I roll, and I wrote that story. So Binge and KO, both available for WebOS LG TV. So if you've got an LG TV 2018 and later, you're in luck, or a WebOS TV perhaps in the last year or two, Echo TV, born, anything with WebOS, check. You might have these apps on your TV. A lot of people very happy about the KO Sports, I know for a fact. I think, in fact, if you had it on a poll – which of these apps would you want first among existing LG TV owners? I'd bet they would have voted KO ahead of Binge. But good news is you got both. Whether you're into your entertainment or sport or both, Binge and KO, both available for LG TVs. So uh, no beating around the bush. So LG customers with a 2018, 2019, 2020, 21 LG Smart TV you may notice a couple of new icons on your television. And if you're a fan of sport, if you're a fan of binge, go for it. Binge, I've been watching uh, Succession on binge. That's a great, great show. Loosely based, I think, around the Murdoch family. If anyone's seen it, it's about this this family company. They, they own a media company and it's, yeah, it's. I think it's pretty loosely based on the Murdoch family, we can safely say. And KO Sports, look, we're coming into cricket season now. If you want to enjoy a summer of cricket and you've got an LG TV, or you need, you need of course, an account. These, these aren't free. It gives you access to the stream. You still need to pay your monthly subscription fees for both of these apps, Binge and KO. So it's not a free pass to Binge and KO. It's free access to Binge and KO, but you've got to have an account that you pay for once a month. So go for it. Binge and KO on LG TVs. If you want to find out more, you can check that out at techguide.com.au. Rode, they've been a busy company. I'm, in fact, talking to you right now through a Rode microphone plugged into a Rode um, Rodecaster. So I'm doing my, my – have been for the last couple of years recording the podcast through a Rode product, talking into a Rode microphone. And Rode, have I said Rode enough, have inhaled a new Lavalier 2 wearable microphone. So this is a little lapel mic that works with 
other devices directly. So if you've got a camera, for example, you've got like a, a, an SLR camera with an audio, a microphone input, you can connect this directly to to the camera. If it's got, although this one now has the two TRS things, so you do need to connect this to a, a, a third-party product like the Rode, the Rode 2, the, the, uh, the Rode lapel mic, the wireless go-to, or the, I spoke, I think I, I wrote on Tech Guide about the AI Micro, which is uh, a device that you connect to. So the little device, you connect the lavalier to it, and then that device connects to your phone, and that gives it the capability then of picking up audio by itself. So not all, you can't just plug this into every device to use it as a microphone. You will need to use a either the, the Rode Wireless Go or the AI Micro, or another third-party device that, that can connect a lavalier microphone. It's still got the 3.5 mil jack for you to do that. Now, what's different about the Lavalier 2 is it's got this new low-profile design. So it's got this new capsule technology to give it a flatter, leaner look. So its shape makes it possible to sit it flush against clothing and other mounting services. So it also has a new mounting clip, so it's even more compact. Plus, it has a flat cable, so it makes it even less obtrusive. You think about it, this is like a discrete microphone the flatter it is, the better it is. Uh, and But still, though, on the audio side, it still offers amazing broadcast quality sound. So whether you're using it with recording application, whether it's connected to a camera, you are getting a professional result there. It has an omnidirectional polar pattern, so it picks up clear sound from all directions. So it, it's really forgiving for wherever it's placed. It'll pick up your voice quite clearly if it's on your, if it's on your lapel. Uh, it can be used, of course, for broadcasting, filmmaking, along with content creation, live streaming, podcasting, many uses for the Lavalier 2. has the 3.5mm locking connectors too, so if it's used with a device, compatible device, you can have the locking connection lets you screw it in so that they can never be disconnected without you unscrewing it first. So that, that's part of professional wireless microphone systems, including the Rode Wireless Go 2 and the AI Micro. So uh, you're never going to be disconnected accidentally there. It does come with a little pop filter uh, and also a little Mooney mini furry windshield. So if you're recording outdoors, it does also have that compact mounting clip so you can actually manage the cable through the built-in slots. And there's also a set of coloured identification rings if you want to keep track of multiple mic setups as well. So you might have a couple of people because the Rode Wireless Go 2 has the facility to connect two lavalier mics. So you can identify them with these new coloured identification rings. And the good thing too, it comes in this really handy little zip case. That was the, uh, the last one didn't do that. The, this, the Lavalier 2, handy little zip case. So keep your accessories, the mic and everything safe, organised, ready to go. The Rode Lavalier 2, it's available now, priced at 149 bucks, and continues the great work from this Australian company. Rode is an Australian company. I don't know whether many people knew that, but they're doing some terrific work. And as I said, talking to you right now through a Rode Procaster and also through the Rodecaster uh, podcast device as well. Really good. Love their Rode products. They're gonna, they've got a lot of exciting uh, announcements in the coming weeks. I'm sworn to secrecy. They've got a few products that are on the horizon that you'll be, you will be hearing about on this very podcast in the near future. If you want to find out more about the Rode Lavalier 2, you can check it out, techguide.com.au. You're listening to Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Norton. They're the company that can keep you and your family safe online. 
Now, if you're an online gamer, you want the best performance while still helping to maintain your computer's security, and that's exactly what Norton 360 for Gamers offers. The patented Game Optimizer technology can help maximize gaming performance while still helping to maintain the level of security you've come to expect from Norton LifeLock. Game Optimizer can free your PC from power-hungry programs running in the background that eat up your system's resources, helping you get more performance out of your rig. Whether you're a hardcore gamer or just a casual player, Norton 360 for Gamers helps provide multiple layers of protection for your devices, game accounts, and digital assets. Norton 360 for Gamers also includes features that help protect against cyber threats, including malware and webcam takeovers. If you want to help ensure all the available computing power of your system is allocated to the game for maximum performance, while still helping to maintain maximum protection, then put Norton 360 for Gamers on your team. Listeners of the Tech Guide podcast will receive a 50% discount to a year's subscription of Norton 360 for Gamers by using the promo code TECHGUIDE when they visit au.norton.com forward slash techguide. All your tech questions answered. This is the Tech Guide Help Desk. The Tech Guide Help Desk is brought to you by Belkin, belkin.com forward slash au. They're the company that have released great earphones, affordable earphones, and also headphones, plus cables, power banks. They've got great MagSafe products as well. Check them out, belkin.com forward slash au. Now, today I'm answering a question that has been asked by a few people, and it's all about recording stuff. People are still keen to record programs to watch later. Uh, I I don't record anything anymore. I, I find that any program I want to watch, I can always get it or find it on catch-up, whether it's a free-to-air catch-up service or pay-TV catch-up service, I can always find it. But there are some who want to record stuff and watch it in their own time. Good luck to them. That is their right. And the good news is there are still plenty of ways to do it. There's one way I think not many people are aware of, though. Like Recent smart TVs, I'm talking from the last five or six years even, have USB ports on board. And these USB ports can be used to connect an external hard drive. So not only if you connected a USB stick or a, a hard drive with content on it, you'll be able to watch that, given if it's in the right format, on your TV, so you'll be able to play it on your television. A lot of people aren't aware that that same USB port, if you've got an external hard drive, can be also used to record TV programs. So traditionally what we did, we'd connect an external device, whether it's a video recorder, a DVD recorder, hard drive recorder, and we're able to record what we want. But now PVRs, I think they've disappeared because this, the, the, the catch-up on-demand way of the world right now just means that it's not necessary to record. But if you do connect an external hard drive to your television, it doesn't have to be big. It could be one of those small portable mini hard drives that people use with their laptops, and you can buy two terabytes for a couple hundred bucks if that. That is plenty of room to record your program. So what happens in your smart TV has an electronic program guide. So if it knows there's a there's an external hard drive attached, you just go through your external your your electronic your program guide the EPG, 
and you can program it to record. So you can just hit the button. There'll be a record option in your electronic program guide and you're recording. So if you're still attached to your recordings and plenty are, this is what you can do. You don't need to buy anything. I think the question I had was like, I want the Chromecast. Can the Chromecast help me record? Well, this is an easier way. Do it this way. You don't need to use the Chromecast. Chromecast is all about catch-up and streaming anyway. So it's kind of a dying thing, but recording live TV, recording content, because it's so accessible now through the streaming services, catch-up TV apps. It's there whenever we need it. But good news for you guys who still want to record, grab yourself an external hard drive, connect it to your USB port on your TV, access your electronic program guide, boom, you'll be recording as much as you want, if you still want to do that. For those who, uh, who, don't, who, who don't record anymore, you can just rewind this last couple of minutes. You could pretend it never even happened because streaming is always going to be there, but recording for those people who want it will be there as well. If you want to read about that, I've written plenty of stories about how to do this on Tech Guide, but good news is, yes, you can record from your TV drive. And that brings us to the end of the show for this week. If you need to find out anything that we've spoken about, you can find it, of course, at techguide.com.au. And don't forget, if you want to get in touch, email us, info at techguide.com.au. We want to, uh, or you can you click on the uh, Ask Stephen icon on the homepage too. That'll get you, that'll start an email to me as well. We want to give a special shout out to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can keep you and your family and your devices safe online. Please support the companies that support the Tech Guide podcast. Thank you once again for listening. We'll be back with another show next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected. We'll be right back.